chapter 3, verse 50. Hey everybody, welcome back. This is episode 3, Born from the Ashes. So seeing as how I'm on summer vacation and all, I just recently did a whole Harry Potter marathon. Oh my gosh, I haven't watched Harry Potter in a little bit, and I love the movies, and I have the whole series, so I was like, you know what, let's do this, because I like it. And when I was thinking about the title for this particular episode, um, I really struggled with it, because this is where I'm going to get a little bit ugly with some of the things that I'm going to say. Um, I've actually put this recording off for a long time. I was supposed to record on Thursday. Today is now Saturday and I have, uh, hesitated all day long to sit in front of this microphone to record this because this is going to hurt a little bit. I'll explain that in a little bit, but I was watching the Harry Potter movies last week and all of a sudden I thought, oh, born from the ashes. Wait a minute. That reminds me of the Harry Potter. And I remember in one of the movies when Harry goes to see Dumbledore and he's looking at the Phoenix and how old and decrepit and dirty and it just looked like it was on its last leg. (laughs) And I remember thinking, oh, wow. I feel like sometimes that that was me for a while. I felt yuck and like I didn't know how to move forward. And then all of a sudden the bird just goes up in a thing of flames, right? And then a new one is born from the ashes, a new phoenix. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's kind of how I feel. So that's why this is titled Born from the Ashes. So, yes, I have been putting this episode off, recording it since Thursday, because this is a difficult topic. I, last year, when we went down on lockdown with the uh, quarantine, the COVID, all of that, I started a blog and I did really well for a few blogs that I wrote and I thought, oh, this is so therapeutic. You know, people say, write things down, write things down, get it out, just get it out. So I thought, okay, well, let me do that. And if I can help somebody in the process, let me just share my story. But then I got to where I am right now and I never wrote another word and I think it's because I didn't feel as though I had the right to tell that story one I have a mom that I truly respect and I love and I don't want to do anything that's going to hurt her and I know that what I talk about today it's going to hurt her it's, it is, it is, it's what it is. And I don't like the idea of hurting my mom. In fact, a lot of things that I don't say, I keep it quiet because I know it could impact other people's lives. I don't say certain things about my ex-husband because I know it'll affect my daughter. So I felt like I hit this wall, a wall that I couldn't bust through because I didn't want to hurt the people that I love the most. And I do. I love my mom. I respect her. I respect the journey that she's traveled in her own life. I don't want to disregard her feelings. I don't want to um, say that she doesn't matter at all because she really does. I mean you'll know in a little bit why it's even more important to me that I think about the way she feels. So I did call my mom up and I asked her, I said, so how do you feel about me talking about 
the uncomfortable. She's not liking it. I told her not to listen. I really don't even know exactly yet what I'm going to divulge. It's not like the end of the world, earth shattering stuff. But, you know, for for me, it it was bad. And I think in, in her mind, she knows it was wrong. But, I mean, it is what it is. And, you know, she was gracious. She's like, I would never censor you, which I never thought that she would. But she also doesn't want to hear it. And I get it. And, you know, Mom, I love you. I respect you. And know that first and foremost. But this isn't just about me. If I can say something that can help someone else, that's what this is about. I don't share this stuff because I, I just need to get it out. I share my thoughts and my views and my tools or whatever you want to call it because yes one I need to get it out it I'm kind of in a place now my daughter-in-law and I actually had a conversation last night and she goes you know Marie do you feel like you are ready to move forward this with this because you are now in your own space so you guys know I just I'm living on my own now for the first time in my entire life. I mean, I have <clears throat> this beautiful apartment and I, I, I mean, it's all mine. I don't answer to anybody. I don't, I, I don't have anybody to worry about but me for the first time in my life. And maybe that's why I feel like I am ready to move forward with this and why I need to move forward with this. I don't know. So she may be on to something about that. <laughs> but most importantly, this is about helping someone else. I mean, I have come out the other side. I, I've learned how to live through this with joy and contentment. But I've also seen the other side. Like I have come almost full circle. So this isn't really just about me. This is about you. How can I help you? Can I help you? Do you need what I have? I don't know. I don't know. So that's the reason why I am doing this. Um, I think my mom kind of questions that a little bit because she <laughs> told me, she's like, I can't wait for this to be over. <laughs> And I understand why she says that. Um, you know, she comes from a different generation where people don't talk about their feelings as much. Um, she is an amazing mom. I love her. But she's not a touchy-feely kind of person. She hugs me when I go see her. Yes. And she's quick with the I love yous. Because she does love me. But, you know, she comes from a different generation they don't talk about all their feels and what have you so you know she doesn't understand as much as other people do why I am doing this so I'm going to give you some background today my dad's been gone for 26 years he passed away very suddenly from heart disease um, I remember living in upstate New York when that happened. So, you know, I wasn't home with my mom. Uh, but she considers him to be the greatest love of her life. I remember her telling me this story after he passed away that throughout their marriage, he, uh, she would buy or he would buy things for her. And she would write him a check. That was back in the days when people actually wrote checks. We don't do that anymore. <laughs> so she would write him a check to pay back, pay him back. Well, after he passed away, you know, she's going through cleaning out 
things and what have you. And she found all of the checks that she wrote him. He never cashed them. He never wanted that money from her. He loved her. That was his job was to provide for her. And that's what he did. He gave her what she wanted. And she really didn't realize that. I'm like, mom, how did you not like balance your checkbook and realize that he wasn't taking this money? But for whatever reason, she didn't know. And I thought that is a beautiful, that's a beautiful story. I kind of wish I had one regarding my dad, but I really don't. So my childhood, I was born a long time ago. We're going to leave it at that. But at the time of my birth, my birth mother was 17 years old and my dad was 39. So when I talk about my mom and my birth mother, they are two different people. Just so you know. My birth mother, after she had me, she had my sister. And then for whatever reason, she left. I mean, I'm pretty smart. I can figure it out. She was with an old dude. And she was in the prime of her life. She wanted to live. He wanted to settle down. She wanted to go party. He's busy raising a family. So I have one memory of my birth mother. And I really wasn't even sure if this was like a true memory. But it was later confirmed by my mom that it probably was a true memory. I never had a vision of my birth mother in her, in my mind, because I didn't know what she looked like. I don't remember her at all. So I must have been really super young when she left. But I have this vivid memory of her grabbing my hand and walking me from our home up the street to this white building that was on the corner of a couple of roads in the same neighborhood that I lived in, I grew up in. And and then it flips to like just a snapshot image of her standing there. Of course, she's faceless because I don't know what she looks like. But there's this dude sitting on a bed strumming a guitar that's the only snapshot I have from my childhood that relates to my birth mother and for some reason at one point I was going through old photos with my mom this is several years ago I was going through all these photos and I see this young boy and I was like mom who is this guy I don't know him. It was happened to be a Christmas day. We had been opening up Christmas presents and there was some random dude in one of our pictures. And she says, well, that is the brother of your birth mother's boyfriend. And I, for whatever reason, I knew it because he looked like the guy from my memory. It was really weird. Ooh, gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. I was like, okay, so maybe that memory is a real memory then. And she goes, well, yeah, probably. You know, you used to go up there and visit with them, but then you'd come back home. And yeah, I was like, okay. I don't remember her. She, I don't know why. She just didn't leave an impression in my mind. I knew she was there. But the guy held more emphasis for me than she did. Hmm. I wonder if that should be analyzed at some point. (laughs) I don't know. However, my dad ended up raising me and my sister. And at the age of nine, when I was nine, he remarried. He married my mom. And... She, I call her mom because she's the only mother figure I've ever truly known. She adopted my sister and I when I was 10. 
so she truly is my mom. She chose me. My birth mother chose to sign away all of her maternal rights. You know, she didn't, she didn't want us. Or maybe she did and she just felt like she couldn't. I don't, I don't know the story. I have no clue. I did meet my birth mother when I was 30. Oh, that's a whole story in and of itself. I was pregnant with my daughter and my husband and I had gone to the doctor's office and, you know, they do a whole medical history. Okay, so give me all of your father's medical history. So I list everything. Okay, let's give your mother's medical history. And I start talking about my mom and then halfway through, I'm like, oh, wait, stop, pump the brakes. Um, you're going to have to scratch all of that because she's my adopted mom, not my birth mother. I don't have any information regarding my birth mother. And he was like, oh, okay, all right, no problem. So we leave that blank. Well, my husband and I, I don't know how his mom found out about it, but she got this wild hair and she decided she was on a mission to find my birth mother. Yes, it's something I had wanted to do, but I don't know that I was quite ready for it yet, but she was ready for me to have it. <laughs> well, I remember her calling me one day and she goes, Marie, I have a phone number for you. I think I may have found your birth mother's sister in West Virginia. And I thought, well, I didn't tell her she had a sister, so she might be onto something. So... <laughs> Yeah, I know this is going to get crazy. So I call this random phone number and I'm like, hey, my name's Marie. I live in New York and I think your sister is my birth mother. And I give them the particulars of her name, what I know about her, um, my birth, all of all the information that I can give her. Granted, this is on an answering machine. And I don't hear back. The woman never called me back. So I thought, after a week goes by, I'm like, well, I guess that was a bust. <laughs> and another week goes by, and my phone rings. And I answer it. It was about, I'll never forget, it was around 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And I answer the phone. I'm like, hello? And there was a voice on the other end of the line. And she goes, hi, I'm your birth mother. And my world just stopped. And we talked for probably the next three hours on the phone. It was so cool. I found out where she lived because I had no clue where she was living. Story was her sister. It really was her sister. Her sister had she had heard my message doesn't make long distance phone calls and wrote my birth mother a letter saying oh my gosh she sounds just like you you need to call her back here is her phone number and so she called me we made plans to go visit her where she lived my husband, our two kids, me, get in the truck and we drive. It was a bit of a, a drive. She didn't live in the same state we lived in. And we get there and lo and behold, I find out I have two sisters that I never knew existed. Now my sister, we had heard she that our birth mother had had a son. Well, that wasn't the case. That wasn't the right information at all. She actually ended up having two other girls. That was really weird, right? She had two girls with my dad. And then two girls with, yeah, she raised two girls. And there's other weird similarities, but I can't give them away. Because one thing I'm not going to do is give people's names out. One, I don't have permission to do that. And I don't want to put people on blast. So that's why I don't give them names. 
But it's just a little odd, some of the similarities between those two girls and then me and my sister. That's kind of funny. Well, I met my two new sisters, and one of them, she did not like me from the get-go. Um, she, I don't know, she just felt threatened by me. Apparently, these two girls knew about my sister and I their entire life. Uh, go figure. But we didn't know about them. And, you know, the oldest one, you know, she had been the oldest daughter in her mind. And then here I come and, you know, threatened the hierarchy in the family. And I, I mean, I totally get it. Uh, she didn't know why I was there. She didn't know what my intentions were. I totally understand. But the younger one, man, we connected so quickly. I mean, so fast. We found a kindred spirit within one another. And, you know, she said she would come visit me where we lived in New York. My birth mother was going to come visit us at our house. We had made all these plans. We stayed with them for a couple of days and then we came back home. And it ended up being a really positive thing. And for the first time in my life, I thought, wow, I get to have a relationship with my birth mother. Now, I don't call her mom. No, she doesn't, she doesn't earn that title. I called her by her name and she didn't like it. But, I mean, she signed a piece of paper signing all of her maternal rights away to me. She didn't want to be my mom. She was off living off her own life and literally signed off her right to be my mom, to be called mom. I'm not going to start calling you mom just because I found you. That doesn't make a mom. I'm a mom. I know what makes a mom. She did not make a mom for me. And I wasn't going to disrespect my mom by pushing her out and all the hard work that she had put into me and the love and everything. No, that wasn't going to happen. In fact, when my birth mother started talking a little bit ugly about my mom, I had to put her on blast a little bit and say, look, you need to stop because she's my mom and I am not going to sit here and listen to any negativity you have about her. Not going to happen. Anyway, I digress. Shortly after we met up, I get a letter from her. And she basically tells me, she can't do this. She can't have a relationship with me. I have far too many questions for her to answer. I, I just, I, I'm putting her in a bad spot. Uh, she promised my dad that she would never come find me. I mean, she's giving me excuse after excuse after excuse. To which I responded, number one, my dad is gone and you didn't come find me. I found you. Next question. Number two, I don't have any questions for you. I mean, I'm smart. I was in my, I think I was 30 when I found her. Uh, you know, I didn't need to find her to find me. I, I didn't need that. I just wanted to have a relationship with her because I had just gone through you know, having two kids, not understanding half of my medical history. And I thought it would be beneficial to be able to have that. You know, I wanted a friendship with her. I didn't want to ask her a ton of questions. No, I get it. You were young. He was old. You wanted to live your life. He wanted to settle down. I get it. But... She cut all ties with me once again. So the one person who is supposed to love you more than anything else in the world because they carry you for nine months in utero, 
loving you, caring for you, talking to you, wondering about what you're going to look like and what life is going to be like with you. You know, I made her a mom. I'm her firstborn. I made her a mom. Yet twice, three times, really, when she left, when she signed the papers, and now a third time, she's pushing me away and telling me I have no value in her life. Yeah, no value in her life whatsoever. I can't contribute anything to her world. You know, it was hard for me at first, and I really had to come to terms because I'm a mom now, and I cannot imagine what my life would be like without my kids. Oh my gosh, I lived for my kids lived for my kids and kind of still do. I mean, I love my Sunday fun days when my son and his wife come over for, um, you know, Sundays and we just sit, we watch movies or we go to the pool or we grill. I mean, we just have so much fun. I love spending time with my kids. I'm so excited. My daughter's coming. I'm planning all these things because she's coming to see me. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. I live for moments with my children and they're grown adults. And yet my birth mother can't do that for me. So already one of the main contributing factors in my life has rejected me. Not once, not twice, but three times. Yeah, so there's my journey with my birth mother. That one wasn't so difficult. I mean, I didn't grow up with her. It hurt. It hurt a lot. But, you know, you just chalk it up to whatever. My dad, on the other hand, this is the difficult part of my story. Because, again, another person who is a vital part of my genetic makeup, he did me wrong. So it's going to get a little raw. I hope I don't cry during this. (laughs) I don't think I will, but, and I probably making it sound way more dramatic than it really is because I know that there are people out there who have suffered far greater travesties than I have. But this is my story. And I'm going to share it with you now. So I grew up with my dad. For a few years, it was just my dad, my sister, and me. Just the three of us. And I remember as a child... He didn't care what the house looked like. (laughs) Typical guy. I mean, we had toys strewn everywhere. Our rooms weren't clean. My sister and I, we did share a room. And um, I remember, oh my gosh, growing up, I became sort of the neat freak. And my sister wasn't. And her half of the room was messy, where my half of the room was clean and my bed was made every day and oh my gosh yeah we're so polar opposite even still to this day (laughs) but it was just the three of us for a while and then my mom came and they got married and she moved in with um, my now brother and we built sort of a new different kind of life because now we've got two new people added to the mix and it was nice having a mom around I loved having a mom around I remember my brother used to say oh you're just sucking up because 
you want her to like you. Well, yeah, I did because I never had a mom before. So yeah, I kind of wanted her to like me. (laughs) But my dad, I don't remember much about our childhood. I don't know if I'm repressing any memories or whatever. I don't know. But I think it didn't hit me until my teenage years. I remember I was... I had this fear of my dad and I, I, I didn't know why I had a fear of him. And I, I don't know if it's because I don't remember a lot of my younger years, but I did. There was a, a little convenience store right up the road from our house. And I remember one day, I, I don't know how old I was, 14, 15 I used to, I'd ask my dad, hey, can I walk up to the convenience store and get a, a, a what was that, what were they called? The, oh man, the big gulps, that's what they were called, a big gulp. It was like 49 cent big gulp. <laughs> and I would go up and buy one and I'd bring it home and I would sip on that thing all weekend long. Oh my gosh, it was great. Well, this one particular Saturday, uh, something switched, something changed, and I don't know why, but this seems to be like a pivotal point for me. I asked my dad, I said, hey, can I go up to the store and get a big gulp? And he looked at me and he goes, take off all your clothes. I was like, excuse me? No, I will not. And he got mad at me. And I didn't understand where that anger came from. I'm like, what in the world? Why are you asking me to, in my head, I'm go, I'm having this conversation. Why in the world are you telling me to take off all my clothes? And he got mad and stormed out of the house. So being the irritating teenager that I was I followed him out and I said well can I go to the store and he looked at me with such anger in his eyes this is how I perceived it It felt like a lot of anger in his eyes and he looked at me and said we'll do whatever you want to do because you don't do what I tell you to do anyway and I was like okay I was very confused and I I didn't know where that was coming from I really didn't, but it started me thinking, where is this coming from? Why is he behaving this way? I mean, he's never asked this question or told me to do this before, or did he? And I just don't remember it. Was he frustrated that he saw me growing up and he didn't like it? I don't know. I really don't know the motives behind his behaviors. But I think that was the first time that really tuned me in to what possibly could be happening in my world. And I don't like the fact that he made it my fault. He turned that on me so fast. Do what you want to do because you don't do what I tell you to do. Uh... No, I'm not going to take my clothes off for you. Ew, you're my dad. I'm supposed to be able to trust you. I'm supposed to be able to look at you as a a role model. Ew, gross. Well, then other things started happening. So my dad, our house was always under construction. When my mom and my brother moved into our house after mom and dad got married he actually built two bedrooms and another bathroom so one of the bedrooms was for my sister and I and the other bedroom was for our brother and then there was a bathroom so he built the hallway off of the main house built the two bedrooms we moved in everything was great that bathroom I mean let's see I don't, let's see, they got married when I was nine, and when I moved out at 17, six, 17, uh, that bathroom was never finished. 
yeah, he never did it. I don't know why. So projects went undone all the time. I mean, he was an electrician and they say the worst. Yeah. You've heard the saying, the worst patients are doctors, you know? So yeah, our house was never finished. Well, he'd cut a hole in, in the wall in what we call the, the library. We only call it the library because there were a bunch of bookshelves up. It was the main room that you walk into in our home, but there were bookshelves everywhere with all of his magazines and uh, all the books and everything. It really didn't do anything in that room except sit on the floor, <laughs> play games. We had a living room, so it wasn't the living room, but we called it the library. So he put a hole in the wall and was going to put a TV there. I remember him saying, we're going to put a TV here. But that TV never got put there. And I, I don't know. It was after this conversation where apparently I don't ever do what he tells me to do that I started noticing certain things. I'd go to the bathroom. And I became very self-conscious that I was hearing some noises and things that just, I was like, when's that? So it made me pause. Well, my dad was using that hole in the wall to watch me as I went to the bathroom or take a shower. And he would drill holes in the bathroom door for his own little peep show. I know, it's kind of gross. So while my father never, to my knowledge, sexually molested me, there were all these other things. Probably why I'm very self-conscious about people looking at me today. <laughs> but it happened. And my mom, she knew she knew he was doing it and she did the best she could. She'd, you know, put the holes cover the holes up with putty and what have you. But he'd drill a new one. And I don't I don't know. I got very self-conscious and I started noticing things. How the light would change over in this corner. Because the hole happened to line up with a closet space in the bathroom that never got covered up from the bathroom perspective. So it was just open area and there was just a curtain over the hole or a picture. I think there was a picture over it. And then you'd see, I could sometimes see that picture move. And I think I started to just become in tune with these different things because my dad's behavior became very odd at that point. I don't know what triggered it. I really don't know what triggered it. As far as I knew, my mom and him were very happy together. I don't know if he was upset because my mom was trying to cover up what he was doing and cleaning up his mess for him or what it was. But there were things that he would say to me that just, I don't even, I can't even explain it all. But I think the part that really gets me the most is when he would turn it around and make it my fault. <laughs> but isn't that what normally happens? You know, people who are victims of abuse, their abusers always turn it around on them and make it their fault. I remember one time I asked my dad about my birth mother. He didn't talk about her very much at all. And I didn't ask much, but I was curious. And he looked at me and I think he was feeling so much anger and frustration at me because I wasn't giving him what he wanted. 
Um, but he looked at me and said, you know, she was a dreamer. And dreamers never amount to anything. And you're just like her. Well, you have to know, I was devastated at that point because I was a dreamer. I dreamt of a lot. And in my head, I knew he was so wrong. I mean, that's how we get inventions. That's how the light bulb was created. That's how airplanes were created. Somebody dreamed these things up. We have to have dreamers in this world. And I was proud to be a dreamer. But he made it sound like it was awful. That it was the worst thing in the world. And that I would never amount to anything in my life. Which is why it took me so long to go to college. Because I had that sitting on my shoulders for so long. So long. And... Now I look at myself and I'm like, wow, all of those dreams that I had, look at me now. Graduated from college. I have my master's degree. The first person in my family with a master's degree. And I did it with a 4.0. Mm-hmm. Take that. <laughs> I don't know. My head knew he was wrong, but my heart felt so heavy because this is my dad. This is a man who's supposed to protect me, who's supposed to love me, who's supposed to show me the type of man that I want to marry, the type of man who is supposed to love me for the rest of my life. And he wasn't exhibiting any of those qualities, those traits anything. I didn't want anyone that was like him. In fact, I remember going through a period of time. And I think sometimes even still to this day, if I see somebody who even remotely resembles him, I stay far, far away. I don't like it. I don't want to be anywhere near him. And, and that's really unfortunate for those people because they may not be like him, but because they look like him or they talk like him, I already reject them. So then fast forward a few years, I get married, find out I'm pregnant, and I need to tell my mom and dad that they're going to be grandparents. I called up my dad and he didn't want to hear it. He wanted me to come over there when my mom wasn't home because he wanted to have a conversation with me. Yeah. Let's just say that after that conversation, I was never alone with him ever again. He made me feel dirty. He made me feel gross. I mean, he didn't rape me. He didn't sexually molest me. I mean, not that he didn't try. Uh, the man had me, here I am 20, 22 years old. He had me sitting on his lap, gross but I was powerless to do anything else. While he tries to put his hand up my skirt and up the back of my shirt and feel me up. And I'm like, you've got to stop. This is not right. And he proceeded to say things to me that just, I couldn't believe he was saying these things. And I'm not going to say what they are, because I don't know. I, I don't, I don't want to hurt anybody. And it could. So I'm going to leave them to myself. I'm sorry if that doesn't satisfy you. <laughs> but I also know that 
my story isn't just my story. My story is also my sister's and my mom's and my dad's and everybody else in my life. So I, I'm not going to say what he said to me at that at that appointment because I don't want to hurt anybody. And I'm good with that. I'm good with that. But so from the beginning of my life, the first two people who I was introduced to, who were supposed to be my protectors, my guardians of my galaxy, my, you know, first loves, they both let me down. They both denied me. They both disappointed me. They failed me. Majorly. But I learned a lot from all of that. I did. And I'm not allowing all of this to define who I am today. You know, I don't like to use the word victim. I kind of hesitated earlier uh, when I talked about being a victim. I am not a victim. I am somebody who was treated not so well, who was rejected in life. And this was just the first two rejections. Um, I think next week I'm going to talk about some other rejections because they laid the foundation for the rejections that later came into my life. It's kind of crazy. But anyway, so these are some of the ashes that I find in my life. But they don't define me. Well, I guess they kind of do. I know that I never wanted to be my birth mother and never wanted to be my father. So in that respect, yes, my experiences did sort of define me. They have made me into the person that I am today because I knew what I didn't want in my life. But trying to figure out what I did want in my life, yeah, that was the real big struggle because I didn't have a good example of what I did want. I didn't have that. I had to kind of make that up as I went along. I made a lot of mistakes, as we all do. And that's okay. That's okay. I know I've divulged a lot of information, and I haven't even given it all, but that's okay. I think I've given enough. It feels a little cathartic. Is that the right word? I hope I haven't brought anybody down. But I also hope that, you know, if you're listening, there are some things that you can take away from this. We don't have to be, we don't have to blame what happened in our past on what's happening right now. I mean, I certainly, I, I guess I could blame my dad. And maybe I did when I said they sort of laid the foundation for the rejections that came later. But I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm blaming them or if I am just looking at it as how I perceived my life. Therefore, this is what I need to continue with. I hope that makes sense. But next week, come back, because we're going to continue this story. I'm going to wrap this one up for right now, because I'm a little bit tired. I've gone on for a lot longer than I normally do. 
As you're well aware, this can be mentally draining, emotionally draining, physically draining. And I've unpacked a lot of stuff that I haven't unpacked ever for the world to listen to. So I'm going to leave it as is for right now. Please understand that I am fully aware and I know my story is not a or the most tragic story out there. That's not what this is about. I I am fully aware that there are people out there who have suffered far greater travesties than I can even imagine. But this is my story. And I I know that other people have traveled similar journeys. And what I'm hoping is that together we can find some peace and some joy in our life and be able to move past this if you haven't been able to. Um, If you haven't been able to move past this, please know that there is life after this. I'm discovering that. And it's beautiful. It is so beautiful. So I hope that you're able to at some point come to peace. It's not going to go away. It's with you. You shouldn't be ashamed of it. I'm not. I'm not ashamed of what happened. I'm not ashamed because I'm not the one who did it. It was just said and done to me. Not something I did. I have no shame in this whatsoever. And I think that's one of the biggest key things I could take away from this. And I hope you can too. There is no shame in what happened to you because you didn't do it. I didn't do this. Rest in that knowledge. And hopefully, if you can, you can start to begin to feel peace in your own life. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. It's not over, not over by a long shot. This is Marie 3.0, born from the ashes. Until next time.